Uh, being a firstborn, I had never seen anyone go off to uh, kindergarten. So my mother was uh, always trying to prepare me uh, by telling me how uh, kindergarten was going to be so much fun that there was going to be games and snacks and nice people. And my mom was so excited about kindergarten, I thought it was for her. And I was just tagging along. So when she dropped me off at school and drove away laughing, now I, uh, it was a shock at first, but then I figured that, yeah, kindergarten was for her. And I, I grew up to uh, like kindergarten too. I uh, especially loved working with the wooden blocks. Uh, as soon as I uh, you know, discovered these blocks, I started pestering my mom to get to kindergarten earlier and earlier. Uh, I wanted to stay working on the blocks later and later. Became a blockaholic. And uh, they were great blocks. These were the heavy wooden blocks. The, I think the dowel rod was yellow. The, uh, uh, they had like rectangle brick things that were red. And they had a, uh, a blue one that had a half moon uh, cut out of it. And uh, I just loved uh, playing with these uh, blocks in kindergarten, and I, uh, I got to kindergarten early one day, and I had all the best blocks. It was going to be a great day at the office when suddenly uh, Billy toddles up, and he takes one of my blocks. And without thinking, I grabbed the uh, blue half moon block, and I clobbered <laughs> Billy with it. And very quickly, three things happened. Uh, first, and really most important at the time, Billy dropped a block, and uh, I was able to get back to my education. And uh, second, however, Billy then uh, went crying to Mrs. Hartung, and so uh, I had to do my best following him, uh, kind of the what's wrong with Brother Billy look on my face. And uh, then third, I got into trouble, uh, because Mrs. Hartung, she, was, she had lots of experience at uh, judging these kindergarten cases. I mean, she was, she was really, really old. I mean, she had to be like uh, 40, something like that. And uh, because she was so old, uh, she was skilled at uh, kind of keeping her class in order and judging these cases. And so I stood there with a death grip on this blue block, and Billy stood there with flecks of blue paint on his uh, forehead. And I was busted, and I had to stand in the corner, and I was cut off from my life work with the blocks. And <laughs> I share this experience uh, with Billy in kindergarten to uh, share with you something profound about me. I am selfish. Uh, since kindergarten, I've had a death grip on stuff that's mine. And uh, I'm naturally selfish. Guess what? So are you. And here's another newsflash. Selfishness is destructive to your life and mine. Uh, if I am a student, my selfishness is toxic to my friendships because if I'm selfish, people quickly get the idea that I'm all about me, not about them. If I'm single and dating, my self-focus will stunt my relationship because my selfishness will cause me to manipulate the other person to try to get that person to love me instead of me learning how to know and love the other person. The stakes get even higher when it comes to uh, marriage and uh, parenting. 
uh, in marriage, my selfishness will cause me to focus on how my needs are being met. And it will turn me into a spouse who is demanding and often can become angry and bitter. In parenting, my selfishness will make me a terrible listener and will actually become one who ignores the deepest needs of my kids and instead crush them under my unattainable expectations. I haven't even mentioned yet how self-focus leads me to self-condemnation and negativity and depression and sometimes worse. So how do I get beyond my selfishness? Welcome back. Welcome back to the second message of this series that we're calling Above and Beyond. And in this series, we're studying the Apostle Paul and the life-changing concept that a personal relationship with God above empowers me to go beyond whatever threatens me to keep me down. So today, we're going to study what God inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the Philippians in the second chapter of his letter to the Philippians, which teaches me how a personal relationship with God above empowers me with a love that takes me beyond the self-focus that keeps me down. So, I'm going to read now the second chapter, first verses of second chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, and as usual, I'm going to read in English, except for one word. One word I'm going to leave, leave untranslated in the original Greek. And uh, if you don't recognize this word, just stay tuned, and I'll explain it as we go. Paul writes, Philippians 2, starting at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his agape, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion in him, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Then have the same agape. Then be one in spirit and mind. Then do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So God's invitation to go above and beyond is embedded in these four if-then clauses, comparisons. In the uh, uh, above and beyond uh, message, we're seeing that it all hinges on this if-then kind of continuum. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then be united in like mind with others. If you have any comfort from Christ's agape, then have the same agape for others. If you have any common sharing with the spirit of Christ, then be one in spirit of sharing with others. If you have any humble tenderness, compassion from Christ, then in humility, value others above yourself. Now, if you're tracking with me and more specifically the apostle Paul, you can see what he's doing in these if-then comparisons. Paul is showing how a personal relationship with God above empowers me to live with a love that goes beyond my self-focus that keeps me down. In these four if-then statements, Paul is talking about love, the love that I experience with in a relationship with Jesus above that then can be reflected out to others. The four if clauses, just to make it clear, 
are the above relationship with Jesus, and the four then clauses are where God takes me beyond my self-focus to love other people. So first, Paul asks me, if I have any encouragement from being united with Christ. And as a Christ follower, I say, of course, of course, God, this encouragement from a relationship with Jesus has transformed my life. Now, Paul's word for encouragement here comes from the Greek word paraclete, uh, which means one who comes parallel or alongside someone else. But is Paul talking about coming alongside me, Jesus coming alongside me in kind of a, a distant relationship? No. Paul says that Jesus comes alongside me so close that he unites with me in encouragement. And God's word here says that if I'm experiencing the support of Jesus uniting alongside me, giving me courage when otherwise I would be afraid, giving me power when I would otherwise be weak, and giving me miracles where otherwise I wouldn't have a prayer, then, then, then I am empowered to love somebody just like that. I can go beyond my self-focus and actually come alongside someone else and unite with them in a way that gives them encouragement along the way. Paul says, if I am experiencing Jesus uniting with me in encouraging support, then I am empowered to be like-minded and unite along someone else who needs some encouragement. I'm empowered to be a paraclete who comes alongside someone who is overwhelmed and actually becomes someone's answer to prayer. That's what I want. That's what I want with my life. I want God's encouraging presence to take me above and beyond my self-focus so I can actually be the answer to someone's prayer for encouragement. Next, God's word asks me, if I have received any comfort from the agape of Jesus. And the answer is, of course I have. The Greek word agape is the biblical word for God's kind of love. God's unselfish, sacrificial love. There are four different Greek words, all that get translated as love in our English Bibles. Uh, there's a, a Greek word for romantic love. Uh, there's a Greek word for friendship love. There's a Greek word that refers to the love between family and blood relatives. Well, this word agape, that's it's totally different than those other three kinds of love because agape uh, love is supernatural. Those other three loves are natural and are based on affectionate feelings. Agape love is a supernatural love that is not about feelings. It is about self-sacrificial actions. In Scripture, God's agape love is a love that in action loves me when I am unlovable, loves me when I don't deserve it, loves me when I can't pay it back. And Paul says there is comfort in this unconditional, supernatural, agape love from God. You know, if you've ever been there uh, for the birth of a uh, natural birth of a baby, you know what I, what I mean when I say that we all come in this world crying. And beyond the physical tears, 
that's just an analogy for the truth that we are all coming into this world weeping out of a desperate desire to be loved, to be loved for who we are. We're all weeping for someone to love us despite our flaws, despite our brokenness, despite the ugly parts in us. And we all continue to weep and weep. There's one right now, weeping. (laughs) And the only cure for our crying is the comfort of the agape of Jesus at the cross for me. And Paul says that if I have received this agape comfort in a relationship with Christ above, then I am empowered to go beyond my selfishness and love someone else like that. Paul says that by virtue of receiving and experiencing this agape love of Jesus, I am now uniquely qualified to reflect that supernatural love in my natural relationships. Not that agape love is easy. No, agape love is supernatural. It's putting aside my natural self-focus. It's putting aside my feelings and actually acting with love and kindness towards someone who may not like me, who doesn't deserve my love, and will never be kind back to me. But you know what? Sometimes in this agape love process, a miracle takes place. Sometimes when Jesus showed agape love to me, a miracle took place. I changed from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And sometimes that miracle will take place in the hearts of those around you when you start acting in agape love. A counselor named uh, George Crane tells the story of a wife who came to see him full of bitterness against her husband. And she said, not only do I want to divorce him, I want to get even with him. And uh, the counselor Crane suggested a plan. He said, Here's how you can get even. Go home and act like you love your husband. Go home and act like you adore him. Go out of your way to be considerate and kind and generous as possible. Then, after you've convinced him of your love and how he can't live without you, then drop the divorce bomb and he'll be grief-stricken that he's losing such a wonderful wife like you. And with revenge in her eyes, the wife said, yes, yes, beautiful, yes, yes. This, he won't know what hit him. And uh, so for two months, she acted as if she adored her husband. For two months, she showed thoughtfulness and helpfulness and kindness and love. And after two months, she called Counselor Crane and said this, you won't believe it. I'm now madly in love with my husband. I will never forgive you for ruining my divorce. (laughs) I I like this story because it shows how agape love can lead to feelings, but the power of agape love is not dependent on feelings. Agape love is action, not feelings. So don't wait for feelings. Just act in love, and sometimes a miracle takes place. 
A miracle takes place in you, and it can take place in the hearts of those you love with this kind of love. So experiment this week, all right? Uh, Try letting God's agape love take you above and beyond your self-focus. Start acting in agape love, and who knows what kind of miracles might come into your life and your relationships. Next, God asks me if I have experienced any shared fellowship uh, uh, with the indwelling Holy Spirit of Jesus. Of course, of course I have. Paul's word for uh, sharing here uh, and it is koinonia, which refers to this sharing relationship of generosity towards someone else. And this is what Jesus does through his Holy Spirit indwelling me. He shares himself with me. He shares his wisdom with me. He shares his, his confidence with me. He shares his resurrection victory with me. And if I experience this generosity from God's spirit above, then I am empowered to share this generous spirit toward others. Jesus empowers me to go beyond my selfishness that I had in kindergarten. Um, Now, instead of clobbering the billies in my life, I can actually share and build something with the billies in my life. I share the generosity of Jesus among his people here at church by giving of my monetary treasure to God's work here in the church generously as I give of my talent to share my time and and talent with the people of this church as I I share myself in listening to those who need a listening ear. And I emphasize that this happens here at church because this is what Paul is emphasizing. He's stressing how this koinonia love is to be reflected from our experience with Jesus personally to each other. Finally, God asks me if I have experienced any tenderness and compassion in Christ. Well, of course, of course I have. Tenderness and compassion perfectly describe the approach that Jesus has to my broken parts, my twisted parts, my my wounded parts, with his loving touch, Jesus forgives me and he embraces my pain and brings healing to his soul. And if I have experienced this tenderness and compassion of Jesus, then I am empowered to go beyond my self-focus and humbly value others above myself by showing others who maybe have made mistakes to me or have hurt me or hurt others and share the tenderness and compassion with Jesus that I've experienced. Everybody has a favorite musical, right? My favorite musical, Les Mis, hands down. It, uh, it's a story of how God's compassion has victory over self-condemnation. Uh, it's all based, of course, on Victor Hugo's book, Les Miserables, which became a musical, which became a a musical movie featuring uh, the story of a man named Jean Valjean, who's played in the movie by Hugh Jackman there on the left. John is thrown into prison for a petty crime. He spends 19 years in prison growing hard and bitter. When he is finally released, he can't find any work because no one 
We'll give him a second chance. He's condemned as a criminal. And desperate and starving, Valjean lies in the street where he is found by a bishop. And this man of God brings him into his home and feeds him bread off of a silver platter and gives him drink from a silver goblet. And after the meal and the bishop goes uh, to bed, Valjean sees his chance, believing the lie that he tells himself that he is condemned forever to be a rotten criminal. He steals the silver plates and the goblets. But the law is waiting for Valjean uh, to... Uh, to leave this bishop's home. And as he flees the bishop's home in the middle of the night, the police tackle him and then throw him down in front of the bishop saying, uh, this criminal says that you gave him this silver, uh, but we knew you'd want to have him back and these silver goblets. And the bishop says, oh yes, you're right, you're right. Uh, thank you. I'm so glad you brought Jean back because he forgot these two silver candlesticks. I wanted him to have these two silver candlesticks as well. And when the police leave in confusion, the bishop meets privately with Valjean, gives him these candlesticks, and explains that just as he, this man of God, has experienced the tenderness and compassion of Jesus over his sins, so he wants to extend the same tenderness and compassion to Valjean along with the gospel that God loves and forgives him and calls Valjean to a new life. And this is the moment of Jean's conversion. With the gift of the silver and the gospel, Valjean is changed, and soon he becomes the owner of a factory that hires many people, including a young woman raising a daughter alone. And when this woman falls ill, despite her scandalous background, Valjean personally gets her into a hospital, stands by her deathbed, and promises to care for her orphan daughter, which he does. He adopts this daughter as his own and then shows this same tenderness and compassion to all his other relationships. And after a life of this unselfish love in his old age, Jean dies surrounded by loved ones, a happy man. He dies on his knees, kneeling before a cross in his home, illuminated by two candles in two candlesticks given to him by the bishop who gave him also this word of God. But Valjean is contrasted to the other main character in the story. His name is Javert, uh, played in the movie by Russell Crowe there on the right. And Javert is this police inspector who stalks Jean Valjean in a mad desire to put him back in prison. In Hugo's book, this isn't in the play, it's in the book, we learn that Javert's parents were criminals and that Javert himself was raised in his early life with them in prison. Now Javert is the same incarcerated, hardened soul who feels dirty before God. And in this self-condemnation, he seeks to condemn others who have made mistakes along the way, like Valjean. So Valjean is this man who experiences the tenderness and compassion of Christ through another person who has experienced the tenderness and compassion of Christ and is able to go above and beyond. Javert, however, does not experience the tenderness and compassion in Christ. His heart is closed, and in his self-condemnation, he is still in a prison and wants to imprison others as well. On the line between these two men, where are you, have you really experienced 
the tenderness and compassion of Jesus expressed in his agape love for you on the cross? Has his agape love really set you free from your self-condemnation so that you can reflect tenderness and compassion to others who have hurt you or have made mistakes along the way? Or are you hardened by your own self-condemnation? Now, while you're thinking about this, here's another story. Here's another story about reflecting the tenderness and compassion we receive from Christ without condemnation. It's a story that involves two childhood friends and two ministries here at Black Rock. The first one is Sanctuary, which is our uh, every Sunday evening worship service. Uh, the second uh, Black Rock ministry is Black Rock Easton, which is our Easton campus where every Sunday morning, lay preachers bring the word of God. And here's the story. When I was 18, I joined the military. Um, I wanted to make a difference, I guess. Um, you know, that was an interesting lifestyle uh, that took toll on my walk spiritually. Um, so I began to kind of veer from the church. Um, and then I started hanging out with my brother when I was 21. And uh, I would kind of just do anything to be around him, do anything to um, get his approval, essentially. And unfortunately, that mindset caused me to, to go to prison when he committed a crime and uh, I was there. And by letter of law, I'm guilty as well, so. In the years that Josh had been in prison, um, I had gone through college, graduated college. When I got out of school, um, I, there was a kind of a turning point in my walk with the Lord and Christ had just showed um, me love when I was at um, at my worst and in you know in the middle of my sin and and um, you know showed me that on a daily basis and that made me um, just made my heart soft and made me want to show that to um, to Josh as well like despite anything Josh had done um, you know I I just wanted to love him friends that I grew up with kind of just disappeared. Um, my youth pastor at the time came and visited me one time and then just disappeared. Um, so I was very upset, I was bitter, I was angry. And I remember coming home and I called every single friend I used to have. And every single one of them gave me the same response. Every single one of them either didn't pick up the phone or they didn't want to be friends with me anymore, they didn't want to be associated with me anymore. Um, and this just furthered this anger and this bitterness I had. Each like loss of each friendship, um, just just really cut him. Especially Christian friends who um, just kind of had turned their back on him and, and um, you know, were off like in seminary, like gonna be pastors. And he's like, but are you, you know, are you living this? Like, I don't know, it, it, it hurt him a lot. He was like really in a dark place. So I didn't keep in touch with him like at all when he was in prison and, and kind of felt guilty about that. But then when he called me, Almost immediately, there, there was just a lot of joy in like hearing from him and um, uh, just getting to reconnect. I just remember uh, Mary Kate answering the phone. And she was like, "What's up?" And like, and, and we just started talking and hanging out. The first time we ever hung out, we hung out at like Walmart to buy a tackle box that I needed as a first aid kit for my car. We text, and she'd be like, "Hey, let's go to the dog park," and like just any little thing, but just showing me love, just showing me like. Like, she doesn't care about my past. She doesn't care about the mistakes I made. She just knows that I'm Josh, and like, that's how we interact. And so she just started showing this love that was like, it just broke through the bitterness and the anger. 
I think that the love of Christ changes human hearts. And, and I think that that's true, you know, one-on-one in, in your personal experience with Christ. And then I think when you take that love and you, you know that love and, and show that to people around you, that starts to change them as well. So August 13th, um, it's, it's funny. For a while, that would have been a day that would live down in my mind for in just pain and, 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 and anger. Because um, August 13th is the day I went to prison. God knew that August 13th was the day I lost almost every friend I ever had. In true God fashion, the way God works, August 13th is actually the first time I ever preached at a church. I actually interned for Sanctuary this last summer um, in the uh, pastoral regard. And uh, as part of that, you have to at least preach once at Easton. And I got to preach at Black Rock, but I got to preach at Black Rock with all my friends in front of me listening. It was just incredible. I sat um, with his family, um, and it was just a, just a huge moment uh, kind of for everyone to just see that um, God had just taken him um, from some of the lowest places and had just put him in, you know, in front of all of us to just, to just share. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for gathering the people that are here today. Um, I thank you for the message that you imparted on my heart. It's not about the preaching, which was great, but it was preaching among my peers who consider me a friend. To just look down and just see these people that I've met within the last two years support me to be there, to wake up early in the morning to come hear me preach. Most of them don't come in morning service, but they did that specifically, drove to Easton just to hear me preach. That's why August 13th is special to me, because God redeemed that date. It's no longer the date that I'm angry about, no longer the date that I, I my biggest regret, no longer the date that, that hurts me. It's a date that makes me rejoice because God redeemed it. So the bishop experiences tenderness and compassion from Christ and shares it with Valjean. Mary-Kate experiences the tenderness and compassion of Christ, shares it with Josh. Who is it for you? Uh, God is calling you, if you're experiencing his agape love, to share it with someone else. And maybe he's brought that person to your mind right now. Follow through uh, with that. Or maybe that person is just right around the corner. You'll remember that you need to reflect that same love that you have received in Jesus. And remember, that's where, we, that's where above and beyond starts. It starts with your relationship uh, with Jesus above and celebrating his love for you. That's where we start, and that's what we're going to sing about. Would you please stand as we sing? We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.